Thank you, gentlemen. Let's take our Bibles this morning and quickly turn to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. Sometime back, the Associated Press had a news headline that, that read like this. Dateline, Glasgow, Kentucky. Leslie Puckett, after struggling to start his car, lifted the hood and discovered that someone had stolen the motor. There you go. I don't know that you need to read much more into that story. Of course, a motor or an engine is a power plant. And the car can't go if it doesn't have any power. Last night, we spoke from Romans chapter 7. How to do that which is good, the Apostle Paul said, I find not. And we talked about frustration. But we also stressed the fact that God does not intend that we should be frustrated. He rather intends that we should be victorious in our life. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, a verse that many of you can quote, the Bible says, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, and Samaria, and all Judea, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Ye shall receive power. Now, in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus said, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Do Bible students know that in the Greek language from which our New Testament is translated, the word that's translated power in Matthew chapter 28 is a word that means authority. It means right. Jesus said, all authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. But in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, when it says, ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, in the original language, this is a different word. It doesn't mean authority. It doesn't mean right. It means force. It means might. There the Bible tells us when the Holy Spirit comes in your life, God will give you the power, the ability, the might to do those things that you want to do. Now, I don't know whether it's a lack of clear biblical teaching whether it's the influence of the modern charismatic movement, but there is a lot of confusion and a lot of ignorance about the Holy Spirit in the believer's life. Now, when I was first saved, I did not have anybody to guide me. I did not have anybody to direct me. And to be quite blunt, I was profoundly ignorant about most things related to being a Christian. I knew that Christians read the Bible, so I started to read the Bible. I knew that Christians pray, so I started to talk to God. And I knew that Christians went to church. But I didn't have anybody to guide me as to what kind of church to attend. I thought that every church, any church, they were all the same, that everybody who went to church believed the Bible was a born-again Christian. And unfortunately, I learned that that just is not the case. I'll always remember a girl in high school who invited me to go to church with her. Now, she was saved. She knew Christ. She had a vibrant testimony. She was a sweet girl. But she went to a church the likes of which I had never attended before in my life. In fact, I'd never heard of or been exposed to anything quite like this. This church was an enormous church, a very large church, but it wasn't the size of the church that I thought was interesting. I remember we, we came into the church, and if I say something that offends you, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, um, uh, 
uh, I won't be back next week, so it doesn't matter. Anyway, uh, uh, I came into this church, and, uh, and there were several things that stood out to me. Uh, there was uh, a rock and roll band on the platform. Now, my grandmother's church didn't have that. They were, they were old school. They were traditional with a piano and an organ, so I thought that was a little bit different, but I had no convictions about this. I had no preference. I just thought that's, that's different. I'll always remember the pastor. He was wearing a robin's egg blue suit, and he looked remarkably like Elvis Presley. (laughs) Not the 1950s jailhouse rock Elvis Presley, but the fried banana sandwich overweight Elvis Presley. That's that's who he looked like. And I remember that there was was, uh, some high-tempo singing, and people were waving their hands and and swaying, and and folks were dancing in the aisle, and people began to to speak, and and I couldn't tell what, what they were saying. It didn't sound like English. It was just some sort of a strange chatter. I didn't recognize the language in which they were talking. But I remember this. I remember it was a little unnerving to me because I was, I was just totally unfamiliar with this. I was very uncomfortable with their style of worship. I'd never been exposed to anything like this before. And then I remember the pastor got up and he said, Everybody love somebody. And everybody started hugging. Well, I was a little scared. I remember this... this this rather overweight, middle-aged lady, she came up to me like this. <laughs> and I stiff-armed her like a football player, right in the forehead. I just, I just wasn't prepared for that. Now, I've been in churches where people like to do more than handshake. They like to hug, and I don't have a problem with that. But at the time, I was, I was a little uncomfortable. There were some different things going on in that church that I didn't know about. And I remember when I inquired, I was told, well, this... This is the Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit. Now, my purpose this morning is not to criticize all the expressions of the charismatic movement, but I want to say this. The manifestation of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life is not, according to the Scripture, enthusiasm, emotional high, running up and down the aisles, a chaotic, disorganized worship. The Bible says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness. How can you tell when the Spirit of God is working in a person's life? Patience. Not, not wild-eyed enthusiasm. Godliness. Love, joy in the midst of adversity. And I think as the people of God, we need to understand, and yes, we need to do more than understand, we need to appreciate the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I ask you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 18 says this, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And what I intend to do this morning, by the grace of God, with His help, is to help you to understand and appreciate what it means to be filled with the Spirit. 
Now, the Bible talks about different workings of the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 says, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, we've been all made to drink into one Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not some sort of post-salvation emotional experience. What it is, is it's the work of the Spirit of God placing us into the body of Christ, making us in union with Christ. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1 says, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. So there's the baptism of the Spirit, there's the sealing of the Holy Spirit. The sealing of the Holy Spirit is a believer, a child of God, a Christian, being made secure in the blessings of salvation through the agency of the Holy Spirit. And you know what? We are kept, the Bible says, by the power of God through faith unto salvation. I'm saved by trusting God, His grace. I'm not kept saved by trusting myself in my performance. It's the sealing work. It's the securing work of the Spirit of God. Baptism of the Spirit. Sealing of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Verse 19, what know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, you're not your own? This is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Every believer is inhabited by the Holy Ghost. And all of these things that I've listed, the sealing, the baptism, the indwelling of the Spirit of God, these happen at the point of conversion. These happen at the moment that you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. Romans chapter 8, verse 9, if any man have not the Spirit of God, he's none of his. If the Spirit of God doesn't dwell inside of you, child of God, you're not a child of God. Every Christian, every born-again believer, everybody who's embraced by faith Jesus Christ, God's Son for their salvation, is indwelt by the Spirit of God, baptized by the Spirit of God, sealed with the Spirit of God. But there's more. These are things that God has done for us. But the Bible tells us there are commandments regarding the Spirit of God that are not always a reality in our life. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30 says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Did you know that God grieves? God sorrows? The Bible says don't, don't make the Holy Spirit sad. Don't grieve Him. Galatians chapter 5 verse 16, This I say, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Jude chapter, or Jude verse 20. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19. Quench not the Spirit. And then the fifth commandment is what we're going to focus on this morning. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. These are commandments. Don't quench the Spirit. Don't Grieve the Spirit. Positive commandments. Walk in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And so what we have here this morning is a commandment specific to you and to me. Be filled with the Spirit. This commandment is a 
plural commandment. It's for all saints, not just a select few. The filling of the Holy Ghost is not for some special class of super saint who are unusually sanctified and particularly empowered. No, being filled with the Holy Spirit is for every child of God. It's for every believer. Paul here is not writing, as he writes this letter to the Ephesians under the inspiration of God, just to pastors, just to deacons. He's writing to all Christians. And this is for you, child of God. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's not just plural. It's not just for everybody. It's a present active command. This is something that is to be the constant experience of the child of God. It's not something that's reserved for special moments, special occasions. We are supposed to be regularly, constantly, consistently filled with the Spirit. That's the command of Scripture. Well, I was teaching and preaching on one occasion at the Mid-America Conference on Preaching over in Detroit. And I was actually a little surprised. I don't mean to be condescending, but I was a little surprised as I was talking about the filling of the Holy Spirit. A pastor raised his hand and he said, well, what exactly does the Bible mean when it says, be filled with the Spirit? I think the answer to that question is found right here in our text. Look again with me at verse 18. It says, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. You know, with few exceptions, the book of Proverbs, much of the book of Proverbs, not all of it, much of the book of Proverbs uh, is part of that exception, but rarely in Scripture does a, does a verse simply stand by itself in isolation, unrelated to the phrases around it. We call this context. And here is the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of God, is writing... I don't believe that he's just writing random admonitions. Let's see, what do I want to tell the Ephesian believers? What do they need to know? I know, be not drunk with wine. That's bad. Christians shouldn't be drunk with wine. Be not drunk with wine. Mm, That's good. Let's see, what else should I tell them? What else do Christians need to know? Oh, I know, be filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't think that's what's happening here. I think that there's a very clear train of thought that the Apostle Paul is following. And the first admonition, this prohibition about being drunk with wine is given as an illustration or an explanation for the second admonition, the second commandment, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And of course, that does not mean that we are uh, exempt from this commandment, be not drunk with wine. This is good advice. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. It's interesting to note that that word that's translated excess is the same word, a phrase that is translated in Luke chapter 15, riotous living. When it says that the prodigal son went out and wasted his substance with riotous living. It means chaos. It means disillusion. It means, it means ruin and wreck. Young people, if you want to wreck and ruin your life, give yourselves over to alcoholic consumption. Nowadays, we, we, we've seen to have uh, adopted in Christian circles a, a sympathy for alcohol consumption, social drinking. Folks, I don't think it's right. I don't think it's right. 
And I'm not going this morning, the purpose of the message this morning is not to, is not to do an exposition, an explanation on why I believe that consuming alcohol is wrong. But let me say this, alcohol is a highly addictive, mind-altering drug, and it shouldn't be in the believer's life. I believe that. And it ought to be part of your battery of convictions that you will not drink alcohol. The result is riotous living. But again, Paul here is making a broader point than to simply warn Christians against giving themselves over to alcohol. I have had the privilege of serving for 25 years as a fire service chaplain. During that time, I have been on the scene at some very interesting and, quite frankly, sometimes some very disturbing incidents. On one occasion, this, this almost never happens. As the chaplain, on one occasion, I was first on the scene. I'm almost never first on scene, but there was an accident where I happened to be right across the street from my house. We heard a skid, we heard a crash, we looked outside, and a man had driven a Subaru into an enormous old maple tree. His car was crashed up against the tree, the front end of the car was totally crushed in. We quick called 911, I ran across the street, and there was this man behind the wheel of the car. I urged him, please, sit still, don't move. He said, oh, i got to get out of here. i got to get out of here. And he opened the car door, and he managed to get out. And I don't mean to be crude this morning, but the, the man had a nasty gash on his head. He had a terrible abrasion in his neck. His white T-shirt was completely soaked in blood. I said, sir, listen, you need to just sit still and not move. I didn't know. Maybe he had back injury. Maybe he had neck injury. I wanted this man to be immobilized. I said, emergency help is going to get here quick. Please sit still. Oh, no, he said, I've got to get out of here. I've got to go. And he looked at me and says, would you drive me home, please? I said, sir, listen, I'll give you a ride to the hospital. In just a moment, emergency services are coming. Please just sit still. He said, no, no, I've got to get out of here. And he starts jogging. He starts jogging down the road. So I start jogging next to him. And as I'm jogging along next to this man, I said, listen, you need to to get back. He said, oh, he says, I'm in big trouble. I'm in big trouble. I didn't say to him, well, yeah, you are. But but, uh, but, uh, he said, I'm in big trouble. I got to get home. Uh, He said, said, I've had a lot of traffic tickets. He said, this is going to get me. I'm going to go to jail. And I I said, sir, you left your car back there. I said, the police know who you are, and they'll find you. He said, oh. And so he stopped. We're about a quarter of a mile away from the wreck. He turns around. He starts jogging back. I'm jogging next to him. We get back to the car. He climbs into the driver's seat of the car, and he sits back down. I said, now, sir, I want you just to sit very still and not move. So within literally seconds after he got back to the car, we could hear the sirens, you could see the lights flashing, and the EMS arrived, the fire department arrived, the sheriff arrived, and immediately they, they held seat spine, they immobilized the man, and they began to treat his, his bleeding. And one of the firemen said to me, he said, boy, he said, this man was mighty lucky. He's, he's hurt bad. I said, yeah, he's He's, he's, he's bleeding profusely. He said, yeah. He says, he's got compound fractures in his rib cage. And again, I'm not trying to be crude. I'm not trying to disturb you folks. But he had a compound fracture. One of his ribs broke clean loose and was jabbing right through his side. And he was jogging down the road. Here we go, going home, yeah. He wasn't feeling no pain. 
This guy had compound fractures and deep abrasions and serious injuries, and he was absolutely oblivious. Well, what in the world could possibly inspire a man to go jogging down the road when he has literally crippling, perhaps even life-threatening, painful injuries? And the answer is, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess. He was, sometimes the term, the legal term is, he was D-U-I. You know what that stands for? Driving under the influence. He was doing something that no normal, rational, reasonable person ever would do. And quite frankly, in his case, he was doing something that no normal person really could do except for the influence of alcohol clouding his mind. So what the scripture does here is it gives us a negative illustration for a very positive admonition. Don't be under the influence of alcohol, which will bring excess and riot and ruin to your life, but on the contrary, child of God, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And what he'll bring into your life is not excess, riot, and ruin. What he'll bring into your life is order and strength and love and godliness. Be filled with the Spirit. That's what it means. The issue is really not so much about content, be filled with the Spirit, as it is about control. Now, as Christians, we're not supposed to allow anything to have control over us externally. Paul said, all things are lawful unto me, but not all things are expedient. All things are lawful unto me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. But we're often brought under the power of things. And if it's not some sort of substance such as alcohol, sometimes it's attitudes, sometimes it's thoughts, sometimes it's moods. This phraseology that we find here in Ephesians 5 is found elsewhere in the Scripture. Luke chapter 4, verses 28 and 29. Jesus reads in the Scripture the Word of God. He reveals Himself as the Messiah. And it says, And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him under the brow of the hill wherein their city was built that they might cast him down headlong. They were filled with wrath. They were so controlled, so under the influence of wrath and anger that it brought them to the place where they attempted to murder the Son of God. Acts chapter 13, verse 45, when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy. There's that phrase again. And they spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. These people, when they saw the multitudes that followed the Apostle Paul and were attending to his teaching, they were so under the influence of resentment and envy that they opposed his gospel preaching and they blasphemed the God of heaven. It was their envy and their jealousy that influenced them, that motivated them, that controlled them. And we don't want to be under the control of alcohol. And we don't want to be under the control of anger. And we don't want to be under the control of envy. But child of God, we want to be, we ought to be, and praise God, we can be under the control of the Holy Spirit. And so the Bible says, be filled with the Spirit. Acts 1, verse 8 again, And ye shall be witnesses unto me. 
power of the Spirit of God will come on you. And you shall be witnesses unto me. You know, just a month before that, what did the apostles do? The Bible says, smite the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Jesus was arrested and the, and the disciples all scattered in fear. And when Peter, the most outspoken, the leader of the apostles, when he was confronted and, and accused of being a follower of Jesus, what did he do? Three times he denied Christ. And he went out and he wept bitterly. But a month passes. Pentecost comes. And the power of God and the person of the Spirit of God comes on Peter. And this same man who denied Christ stands before a multitude and preaches Jesus Christ, the Son of God, crucified and risen. And when he's threatened and when he's beaten, what does he do? He says, we ought to obey God rather than man. And he persists in his profession. What what happened to change this weak man into a strong man? What happened to change this man who was so intimidated into a man who was bold for Christ? But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. He was filled with the Holy Ghost, the Bible says in the book of Acts, and he spake the word of God with boldness. The Spirit of God empowered him to do something that he would not, could not, in him, of himself, by himself, normally, naturally do. He was empowered by God. Hold your place here. In, in fact, Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. It says in verse 16, Paul's prayer for the Ephesians is that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Verse 11, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long-suffering and joyfulness, giving thanks, verse 12, strengthened with all might. Sometimes when we think of might, we think of force, we think of power. We think of, we think of Samson killing a lion with his bare hands. We think of Samson tearing away the, the gates of a city. We think of superhuman strength. God does promise you, child of God, superhuman strength. Not superhuman physical strength so that you can leap over buildings with a single bound. But God promises you through the indwelling of the Spirit of God, when we're filled with the Spirit, when we're under the influence of the Spirit, when we're controlled by the Spirit, He will enable you, child of God, to do and to be what you normally could not do or be. I mean, let's, let's be honest. We talked a little bit last night about temptation, and there's some temptations. They come furiously. And sometimes it's not just a nudge, and sometimes it's not just a nagging. Sometimes it feels like a tidal wave has knocked us down and swept us out to sea. We feel absolutely overwhelmed and absolutely overcome and completely helpless to resist. And I'm going to surprise you, young people. It may very well be that in and of yourselves you are helpless to resist. But not with the power of God. 
He's not helpless to resist. It may be the, by the force of your will, by your own personal determination, you can't have victory. Ah, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be under the influence of the control of the Spirit of God. And you can say no to sin, and you can say yes to God. You can do things that you would not normally be able to do, and you can do them because of the power of God. And so it is, again, Jesus said, ye shall be witnesses unto me. Men who were not bold, men who were intimidated, were turned into bold witnesses. They were made what they weren't by the power of God. But it's not just in witnessing. It's not just in preaching. Let's pull some more commandments out of the Scripture. Honor thy father and thy mother. How about that one? So for some of you, that's not a problem. Hey, for some of you, that's a big problem. I was preaching at a youth camp in the state of Virginia one summer. And I had two girls come up to me after I had finished preaching. And these girls, I don't think were being sarcastic. I think they were being sincere. They said to me, Preacher, how do you honor parents who are not honorable? I think that's a fair question. I think that's a fair question. The reality is, sometimes people in positions of authority, people in our family, parents, they're not honorable. I wish they were. But sometimes they're not. So what do you do? You honor your father and your mother. And you don't harbor resentments and bitterness. You say, well, you don't know what it's like to live with my mother. You don't know what it's like to live with my father. Apparently, child of God, you don't quite know the extent of the power of God. You can do this by the power of God. The Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, be patient toward all men. Not some men, not most men. Yeah, but the Apostle Paul, he didn't have so-and-so for his roommate in the dormitory, so that doesn't apply. You can be patient. You can be patient by the power of God. You can be forgiven. Yeah, wait a second. You don't know what they did to me. You don't know how they hurt me. You don't know how I was abused. You can forgive by the power of God. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. You can do this when you're strengthened with might in the inner man. You can do this when you're filled with the Holy Ghost. Look what it says in Ephesians chapter 5. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart unto the Lord. Inner joy, inner contentment. This is something that is not the result of how much money is in our pockets. It's not the result of getting straight A's on our report card. It is a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit. He puts a song in our heart. Acts chapter 16, we read about Paul, we read about Silas. Abused, persecuted, maligned, beaten, chained, arrested, imprisoned. And the Bible says at midnight they sang praises unto God. How did they do that? I mean, the truth of the matter is, I mean, in and of myself, what would be my natural reaction if I was falsely accused of a crime I didn't commit, I was roughed up by some lawless lawmen, 
I was thrust into a prison. I was denied my rights and I had an uncertain future. What am I tempted to feel? I'm tempted to feel anger and rage and resentment. I'm tempted to feel fear and intimidation. Paul and Silas sang praises unto God because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. It wasn't the circumstances around them that directed their attitudes and their responses and their mood. It was the Spirit of God inside of them. The Bible tells in the book of Luke that a good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And when the Spirit of God fills your heart, when he's in control, what's going to come out of you? Good! You don't have to be a slave to your circumstances. Verse 20, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I tell you, I I, I, I caution, I I hesitate to say this, and I hesitate to use this by way of illustration, but I'm going to. I've known your college president here for 25 years. I sat, I talked with Marty yesterday. I sat and talked with Marty in the month of May. I visited with him in the month of December. Now, he's had some pretty grim medical diagnoses. He's undergone some serious surgery. And do you know what? He has been a blessing to my life. Do you know why he's been a blessing to my life? Because the Marty Marriott that I sit and talk to is a Marty Marriott that I sat and talked to two years ago and three years ago and five years ago. I'm not saying there's no temptation to fear. And I'm not saying that for he and his wife, there haven't been tears But the Bible talks about the peace of God that passes understanding. It's not reasonable. It's not rational. It's not based on circumstances. Listen to me. You can have a diagnosis of cancer and you can still, with your cancer, have the peace of God when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Yes, you can. You can do anything that God wants you to do. You can be anything that you ought to be by the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And then what follows is a relationship of wives to husbands, husbands to wives, children to parents, and so forth. All of the relationships of life, not just guided, not just directed. This isn't just instruction about how you ought to be. This is also instruction about how you can be. You can be submissive and caring and have a servant spirit. How can I do that? It's not in me. It's not not the way I am. It's not my temperament. It's not your temperament, but it's the temperament of the Spirit of God. And so when you're filled with the Spirit, you can do anything you ought to do. You can be anything that you ought to be. I'm not talking again about winning a race in track and field. I'm not talking about hitting a baseball over a far fence. I'm talking about being patient in adversity. I'm talking about being true and pure in the teeth of temptation. I'm talking about loving those who are unloving and unkind toward you. You can be, you can do whatever it is that that God wants you to be, whatever it is that God wants you to do, you can do, you can be when you are, verse 18, filled with the Holy Spirit. Child of God, you need to let the Spirit of God influence you. Be under his influence, and he'll make you like Jesus Christ. How can I be under the influence of the Spirit of God? How can I be filled with the Spirit? 
Dwight Moody, over 100 years ago, he said, I firmly believe that the moment our hearts are emptied of pride and selfishness and ambition and everything that is contrary to God's law, I believe the Spirit of God will fill every corner of our life. When we're full of pride and conceit and ambition in the world, there's no room for the Spirit of God. We need to be emptied before we can be filled, and we need to be yielded. The question, he said, is not, does the Spirit of God reside in you? Does the Spirit of God preside over you? How can you be filled with the Spirit? By faith, by yielding, by submitting, by trusting. Just a couple blocks from my house some time ago, I was driving down the street, as I always do, lawfully, obeying the speed limit very carefully. But I did have the right of way when I came to a cross street. And sometimes I suppose uh, you just have this instinct, you just have this feeling. I saw a car coming to the left, and, and I don't know whether it was the speed at which he was going, he had a yield sign, that red triangular bordered sign. He's supposed to stop and let you have the right of way. He was coming and there was something in me that thought, you know what, I, I don't think he's slowing down. I don't think he's going to yield. I applied my brakes and I'm glad I did because I stopped just in time. He went sailing through. And he looked over at me and blew his horn and gave me the, uh, a special salute. Let's just put it that way. I had the right of way. He was supposed to yield. Yield. Child of God, yield to the Spirit of God and let Him have His way. Again, I'm not trying to be simplistic. It's not just let go and let God, but in your will, in your mind, in your heart, determine. I'm going to trust in Him. I'm going to depend upon Him. I'm going to submit to Him. I'm going to let him preside over my mind, over my choices, over my words, over my works, over my values. I'm going to submit to the Spirit of God and let him be in control. God, fill me. Put me under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And when we are, I believe we will be empowered with might in the inner man. With the result not being that you can jump higher and see farther. But you can be patient, child of God. Yes, you can. You can have a sweet spirit. You can be forgiving. You can say no to lust and temptation by the power of the Spirit of God that resides in you. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ, His death on the cross for our sins, Thank you that forgiveness comes not through what we do, but for, through what Christ has done for us. Thank you that he died in our place. Thank you that we can trust him and be reconciled unto thee and have everlasting life. But Father, thank you that Jesus Christ said that he would not leave us comfortless. He would send the comforter. Thank you that he sent the Spirit of God to accompany us and to empower us. May we walk by faith, not faith in ourselves. May we walk by faith, trusting in you and submitting and yielding to the marvelous person of the blessed Holy Spirit who indwells us. And may others see in us the fruit of the Spirit as what happens in our lives would otherwise be impossible. But thank you that all things are possible through the power of God. Help these students be filled with the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.